Hi, and welcome to the Good Fundraising Podcast, where we bring together nonprofit thought leaders and change makers to talk about what's good in the world of fundraising and what could be better. I'm your host, Alicia Mullenstein. Thanks for joining me today. Today, I'm excited to have our first ever two guest fundraiser AMA. I'm joined today by Karen Kirchhoff and Jennifer Deer of K2D Strategies to answer all your fundraising questions. We had so much to talk about. We're doing a two-parter with today's part one, where we talk about mid-level, branding your program, and which KPIs are the most important. Stay tuned. Karen Kirchhoff is the founder and president of K2D Strategies. For more than 25 years, she's been dedicating to working for causes to make the world a better place. Karen's helped raise millions for animal welfare and environmental, LGBTQ, equality in children, and social service causes. Jennifer Deer is the executive vice president and partner at K2D. She brings 20 years of experience in client services and production to the team. Karen and Jen, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very excited to have an episode with two guests for the first time ever and really look forward to sharing your combined knowledge here on the podcast. So thanks again for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having us. We're doing this as a bit of a fundraiser AMA, and we've got lots of questions, mostly for um, smaller to mid-sized organizations. So I think there's a lot in here that could really apply to anyone. So I'm going to kick us off with our first question. We had actually a few questions around mid-level. How do I start a proper mid-level pipeline? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. And I, I would suggest that um, Jen and I have a great love for what we refer to as high value programs. So mid-level, monthly giving, and even plan giving lead generation. And, and mid-level is such a great program because there are donors who are um, just organically going to raise their hand to make a larger investment in your organization's work. Um, so when, when we get posed this question or when we start working with an organization, we have a tendency to look at who the current mid-level people are, right? Where some of those natural breaks are, you know, is it a thousand plus? Is it 2,500 plus? Is it in some cases 5,000 plus? And use that as a guide to find out more. Where did those people come from? Did they give their first gift to the organization at that level? Or did they upgrade over time? You know, did they make a really dramatic upgrade or did they eke up, you know, $250, you know, every time they were asked? Um, Are there external data sources that might be useful in, you know, whether it's a wealth screen or, uh, you know, other metrics around engagement? Are they opening emails and clicking on emails, that kind of thing? Are they using a credit card to make their giving? So any and all of those data points are really helpful in establishing a monthly or excuse me, a mid-level giving program and and ultimately in what tiers of giving may look like within that program. Actually, that was another question that came up about the tiers. So while we're on that topic, what can you tell us about properly tiering your mid-level program? That's a, you know, it's another great one. And it can be very specific to the, the sector the organization falls in. You know, we have a tendency to, to look at mid-level giving programs and look at where people are naturally making breaks, right? So what I mean by that is, you know, often you see donors who are giving those more substantial gifts naturally breaking at 1,000, 2,500, 5,000. But there are certainly instances and and types of organizations where you see different breaks. And some of that's connected to, you know, if it's a a high value program, a mid-level giving program that um, is, you know, also a high dollar monthly giving program. So $100 a month or $250 a month, you know, that's going to give you sort of a different threshold for subsequent tiers than uh, an organization that, that doesn't qualify people based on cumulative giving. 
Arts and culture organizations can have very different mid-level giving thresholds than environmental or animal welfare even. And, and so we really tend to try to use the data to help guide those conversations and guide the, that decision-making to understand whether or not subsequent tiers are A, necessary, or B, uh, you know, if there are natural breaks in the file. Um, and, and I would sort of argue that a third variable is what the capacity of major gifts officers looks like. And if those folks have the capacity to, to manage donors who are giving 2,500 or, or even 1,000, for example, that you may create a, an additional threshold for quote unquote mid-level giving that creates kind of a resting place for those donors as those major gifts officers are digging down into the mid-level file to, to uh, work on upgrading and increasing the investment um, of those donors to the organization. Yeah, I think those are really great points. I think looking at the sector, just to get a benchmark for where you should be, you absolutely can't plan your animal welfare mid-level looking at Lincoln Center's mid-level, right? These are completely different groups of donors, completely different people. It's very valuable to say, take that pause and look at how your file's giving anyway, and look at your team structure. I mean, your point about major gift officers and their capacity, I think is a really good one. And also one that probably warrants revisiting from time to time. So once it's set, you have to take into consideration how the different programs are growing and how they can still complement one another. Jen, do you have anything to add? Yes, as a as a process person, I always like to caveat this as well because with the the more more levels, more giving tiers, there's certainly a back end to that that becomes more complicated. And if you don't have staff to manage what that looks like, you know, acknowledging correctly, speaking to people, you know, making sure they're getting fulfillment of of whatever they might be eligible for at at those giving levels. If you don't have those back end business rules in place or the or the staff to manage it. A complicated tier program is destined to fail. That's a great point. Keeping with mid-level, but this actually has applications for for monthly and other areas as well. Question of brand. Mm -hmm. So do I really need to brand my mid-level program? Yeah, that's... (laughs) We've we've had this conversation a lot of times and, and created sort of matrices of, you know, is it the legacy circle or the gold club or, um, you know, any sort of iteration or variation therein. And I have to say, I've, I've never seen it hurt. Um, I've never seen a, the downside of naming a program. And while, the, you know, the, it can be somewhat taxing to create a name and figure out what it is and, and how to manage it and so forth, there, there can be a benefit to having it. Building on what Jen said a couple of minutes ago, though, if you're going to name the program, you do need to speak to people as though they are a, a member or a donor that, that exists in that program. And, and that sort of speaks to infrastructure and resources. And do you have um, not only the staff bandwidth to manage that, but potentially the additional budget if you're talking about versioning um, an appeal, for example, or um, versioning an email to those donors that you're speaking to them as a member of, you know, the Evergreen Society or the Pause Club or whatever the that giving level is branded, whatever the naming convention that you've settled on um, to ensure that you're carrying that through. Well, and that's a point that also carries back to the earlier question about tiers. If you're going to build out five or six tiers, you have to think about versioning all of yep. those in addition to the versioning for the mid-level. So definitely worthy considerations to make sure that those are worthwhile. Absolutely. Okay. And then if you decide to brand or if you don't, you still want to treat your mid-level donors differently and you still want to treat them in a way that flexes their higher value to the organization and the importance that you place on them. So what are some ways that you 
can start to differentiate your mid-level program from the low dollar, especially if donors are coming up from the low dollar so that they have a different experience. You know, I think this is this is where we see a lot of uh, importance and traction and not removing them entirely from the whatever the traditional direct response communication series is. Um, you know, if these folks came up through more traditional direct response giving, you know, giving to member cards or no cards or mission-oriented appeals, you know, I think it's really important that they continue to receive that kind of messaging. And maybe they don't get it quite as frequently as as they would otherwise, but still ensuring that they get their supporter card or they get their calendar is an important part of their communications cadence. Now, every one of those appeals may not need to have an ask in it. And, and sometimes additional content is really valuable. Um, and whether that's in the appeal itself or as a, you know, a separate newsletter, for example, whether that's a digital newsletter or a printed newsletter, donors who are giving at those higher thresholds tend to be more information consumers um, they're interested in understanding how their gift is making a difference. So ensuring that there's a feedback loop um, and that feedback loop can get baked in in a lot of different ways, whether again, it's in additional information or content in communication they're already receiving, or even potentially in uh, more kind of quote unquote exclusive communications like stakeholder calls or teletown halls. Those are really great for creating opportunities for engagement and giving those donors the opportunity to have access to program people or leadership that um, otherwise they may not have access to. And frankly, that those vehicles tend to be very good for encouraging folks to continue their investment and hopefully increase their investment to the organization over time. So as an example, somebody who participates in a stakeholder call or a teletown hall may have the capacity and the, the passion to increase their giving and give it at a major gift threshold, whatever that level is for your organization. And then on the on the technique side, you know, often higher production values can make a difference and can help the mail stand out in the mailbox and, and get more attention. So that might be a closed face envelope or the use of, you know, handwriting, additional, you know, personalization or notes written on a letter or a reply device. Even, frankly, first class postage um, can sort of help make a difference and help make that mail stand out and elevate the, the, the prominence of that communication to the donor. If that's all you're doing, it's probably not enough, uh, but there is value certainly in um, increasing those production values when you're communicating via direct mail in particular with some of these donors. You know, what are your thoughts on the value of the mid-level program, or I guess really any standalone program, having a name and face associated with it? Do you think that there's value for donors in having a single point of contact or the perception of a single point of contact that's just for their giving group? You know, I, I, I struggle with that one because I've seen it play out in both ways. I've seen tremendous value in having a single point of contact. And in fact, I just got an appeal uh, in my mail in the last week that included a business card of the woman who runs the program. I loved that really personal touch. It was paper clipped to the letter. It was, you know, a, a terrific package. But many years ago, I had a debate with actually a, a client at the time about how to structure a particular appeal. And, and he at the time was advocating for a very simple statement format transaction that didn't highlight and didn't call out this single point of contact within the program. And it, it beat what I wanted to do hands down. And so I think it depends a lot on the organization. I think it depends on what you're doing with that single point of contact, similar to branding a program. If you're going to do it, you really need to do it. And, and, you know, and that person needs to act almost as a, you know, like a junior major gifts officer, if you will, 
that's maintaining some level of ongoing contact with that donor. And, you know, certainly that can be automated from a production perspective. The best place in our experience to determine whether or not that single point of contact is really appropriate is what the staffing structure looks like overall. Are there resources and bandwidth to really dedicate that person or the techniques from a production perspective to do it or not? And, you know, this idea of over-promising uh, or excuse me, under-promising and over-delivering to this donor group is is um, is a good one to remember. Yeah, I think that's really valuable when it comes to assessing our teams and their capacity and not just tacking this on to someone as, someone's existing job description and expecting them to run with it. I mean, I, I guess there's a time and place for being scrappy, but for this group of donors, to your point, you want to make sure there's at least some training and some comfort in those more one-to-one personalized communications if they are going to be the point of contact and having their name on everything. You don't want to surprise a member of your team by having their name go out on thousands of letters and then they find out they're the mid-level donor yes, contact. Exactly. <laughs> All right, great. So moving on to reporting now. A couple questions under reporting. When you're assessing a program, what are the most important KPIs for digital, offline, and other channels, in your opinion? Well, Alicia, we, I think that we will usually go back to the basics when we, when we start to look at reporting. And I think that some of the most basic metrics are still really the most actionable. So we'll, we always start by taking a look at retention, you know, by segment, by channel, um, campaign level by segment. So we can see how donor groups are performing, you know, across campaigns and cross solicitations, looking at the number of new donors and how they're converting, what they're, what packages they're converting on, gifts per donor, average gift. All of these kind of basic metrics still provide you with enough information to take action when, when you see softness and retention or an average gift going down, which means you know donor value is also decreasing. I think if you're going to start anywhere, it's it's back to the basics for those things. And I, and I think some of the bells and whistles are certainly nice to have when it comes to reporting, but, but to have this really solid foundation is, is definitely where you want to start. And I know, Karen, you, you wanted to talk a little bit about digital. Yeah, I, you know, I think that digital channels are still in many ways emerging. Um, you know, we know lots and lots about those core KPIs with direct mail. They also apply on the digital side, but I think there's other metrics that are important to keep track of and, uh, you know, including file size, right? How many new folks are you adding? How many new email addresses are you adding to the file? What is your 30-day open rate? Um, What's your 60-day open rate? And really understanding those engagement metrics. Do your um, opens and clicks, are they trending up or are they trending down? Um, you know, lots of folks within organizations, um, and particularly not the fundraisers, tend to get very worried about unsubscribe rates. I don't actually tend to worry about those quite as much because if your unsubscribe rates are ticking up, it suggests to me a challenge with uh, potentially with audience or content versus frequency, which is often um, what gets blamed. And so I tend to look much more at opens and clicks because they, they give you a lot more information about whether your file really is engaged. And if it's not engaged, some directional arrows to where you need to focus on, on improving some of those metrics. I think every fundraiser has a favorite KPI. I'll tell you mine. Mine's retention. Retention is my favorite KPI. 
followed seconds probably by coverage ratio, looking at how your file is being replaced with the trading donors with new ones. Do you guys have a personal favorite KPI that you I too look am for? a fan of retention. I think it says so much, particularly when you look at it by first year donors and multi-year donors, you know, your your recaptured lapsed. There's a lot of information there that again is very actionable. You can drill down and really focus on the donor groups that need help in retaining and, and giving another gift. Yeah, I like I like retention as well, but I'll tell you in recent years I have really started to pay a lot more attention to some of the value metrics and whether that's, you know, 6, 12, 24 month value because it tells you a lot about what you can spend to bring a donor into the organization. Um, or what you can spend to upgrade a donor. You know, I think retention is obviously still a really big one and one that you absolutely should know and feel very comfortable feel very comfortable with knowing where where your file is. But those value metrics tell you a lot about what you can do with uh, with a file from it from an investment perspective. Yeah, Karen, and I when it comes to value, I think that that metric also helps you kind of determine where to put your investment. You know, when you're looking at the value of donors that come in from uh, social media advertising or donors that can direct mail acquisition. When you have that value and you know what you can spend and what you have to spend, it really helps you determine, you know, where is the very best place for your investment. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point, Jen. It's a bit of an equalizer in the conversations with channels because you have it, it's something that takes the favoritism and maybe some of the office politics out <laughs> yeah. of those conversations and really looks at what the data and the value is showing you. And to your point too, you know, with the 24 and 36 month values there too, that, that also helps to steer that conversation in a more neutral way. All right. Another question on reporting. We have a suite of legacy reports that are clunky and unhelpful. We're taking a look at reporting and trying to streamline. What are the core reports that my program needs? I know we just talked about some of the KPIs, but anything in particular that you would call hmm. out there? I think that, you know, adding value to some of those kind of basic metrics, um, really understanding how individual campaigns are doing both uh, online and offline and, and understanding what you're spending, you know, to bring donors on board or to convert them, to keep them. Uh, all of those are really important. It's interesting because I, I tend to like very simple, straightforward reporting. I find that to be the, the most helpful. I have seen a lot of fancy super, you know, interesting looking, colorful reporting that to me is a whole lot of data, but not a lot of information and nothing that really helps me. So a lot of these crazy metrics are really interesting to know, but, but there's not really much that you can do with them. Yeah. I always like to ask the question, what is it that we're trying to achieve, right? What are the larger goals for the organization? And whether that's connected to a strategic plan or, you know, if there are fundraising challenges in another aspect of the development program, right? Maybe, maybe grants are off. And so the direct response program or the mid-level program, or even the major gifts program needs to carry more weight. Asking that question provides tremendous insight into what kinds of reports you need to be looking at in order to affect the sort of change and, and generate the type of revenue that's going to propel the organization forward and ultimately better lift up the mission. You know, I do think that some of those core metrics that we were talking about a couple of minutes ago should be evaluated and reported on on a regular basis, especially if there are more significant program changes happening. You know, if you're making a larger investment in direct mail acquisition, for example, make sure you're keeping tabs on what those first year retention numbers look like. Feed to second gift is obviously a big variable there. But reports just for the sake of looking at them, because either they're pretty or they're, they're part of a legacy reporting structure, is I think ultimately less valuable if you're not tracking to whatever the larger goal is. 
and it makes me think that we should build in some kind of annual evaluation of the reports that we have to see if they're still useful. I mean, there could be some, if we're all dealing with COVID and a lot of organizations are dealing with COVID acquired donors, particularly yeah. food banks or groups that are you know, essential workers. And it probably makes a lot of sense for the coming year to track those groups as a separate cohort and have some reports that are tailored just for them. But in three years time, those reports might have outlived their use usefulness but you're still having your analytics team pull them and people are still forced to look at them, but the value might not be there anymore. So we probably all should be evaluating these on a more regular basis than we do. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Jen, so much for answering these questions. This was really fun. Our first time with two guests, and I hope that we got to cover a lot of people's questions. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's our pleasure. Thanks again to Karen Kirchhoff and Jennifer Deere for joining me today for part one of our fundraiser AMA. I hope you'll join us next time where we're going to dig into monthly giving, digital investments, and a lot more. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts or tell a friend to help get the word around. You can find this and all our episodes at goodfundraising.net slash podcasts. Thanks again for joining me today. I hope you'll join us soon for part two. And until then, remember to be nice and do good.